Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Joining me today is Rich Barris, the director of Big Data Poll, and he's known widely as the People's Pundit. Welcome, Rich. Great to have you here. It's really good to be here, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. I wanted to talk today about uh, kind of the philosophy behind polling. What does polling mean in our current environment? We're coming up on elections. We're going to see a lot of polls. A lot of people don't know what to make of them anymore. So I figured you would be the perfect guy to have that conversation with. And maybe we can just get started uh, by you letting us know how you got into polling and uh, how you started Big Data Poll. Yeah, um, and and I'm glad we are having this conversation because I don't think we have enough, not nearly enough anymore. And people take polling as gospel uh, mm-hmm. and instead of with a caveat, as they should. And, you know, not all polls are equal. And that leads me into basically how I got into this. Uh, you know, for a, a long time, uh, I always was interested, obviously, in politics. I abs- I, I've studied a couple of things in college, but I did study political science uh, as well, got into it. You know, one professor can change your life. 
He knew that I was really headed more toward economics with my, st- with, uh, my statistics and mathematics skills. Um, but he put me onto this course called Math for Liberal Arts, which was, you know, how do you, how could you use this in real world situations? And one of the, obviously one of the topics and later was on political polling and survey research in general, uh, which really got me interested in this field. Uh, the best thing to do, obviously, is to try to shadow somebody who's been doing it a long time. It is true what they say that, you know, polling is part uh, it is part science, but it's also part art form. And it's honestly more art than it is science at this point, especially in our um, in our it's not just political, but in our environment, in our world and in, in the age in the new age of information, if you want to call it something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so things are very different than they used to be when George Gallup started. Right. Um, you know, the way it's it's a little bit more confusing and we don't have that one gold standard anymore. And we have different ways that people are reached and it, it can be very, very confusing. And I got into it because I basically did see uh, this lack of ability to evolve in this industry and uh i thought i could do it better so i took on the challenge i mean that's really what it comes down to you have to do it publicly because as i've said the only real test uh you know to to find out whether a pollster knows what they're doing you know i mean bottom line chris uh, you can pull issues till the cows come home they're very important politicians look at them when they decide how they're going to vote uh but at the end of the day only the election can tell you whether or not somebody is a good pollster, right? Because that's the only verifiable way to know whether somebody is is getting an accurate picture. Voter sentiment. Yeah, and I actually, maybe this is the perfect time to get into it. I was going to talk about this a little later, but in an era where well more than half the country believes that there was at least a possibility of the 2020 election being stolen. And we can see all the problems going on in our elections throughout these primaries. I have posited on my show before that perhaps even the election at this point is being used to skew the public's perception of itself. And I worry that there might be this vicious cycle where, you know, we still see the election as the true picture of where the American populace stands. And then that is reinforced in a poll. And then the polling is reinforced in the election and it just cycles out. So, yeah. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think that's that's very interesting, you know, especially since we had uh, look at Arizona, for instance, that we just uh, wrapped up there. Uh, You know, I think that you may be on to something. The fact of the matter is, unfortunately, in this country, participation is still far lower than it should be. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there was a record in the primary on the uh, Republican side in Arizona. But for the most part, there are a lot of people, Chris, who still think you know, why should I vote? My vote isn't, you know, isn't counted fairly or it's not one vote that can't make a difference. Um, you know, they're just going to rig it anyway. That's these are not signs of healthy democracies, or healthy self-governing societies. Turnout being as low as it is, is not the sign of a healthy self-governing society. Not that I want everyone to vote. What I want is the most informed people. And that doesn't mean educated. I want, mm-hmm. you know, the most, the greatest number 
um, voting that is, you know, informed enough to vote. So in a perfect world, it's not just can we get to a higher rate turnout, 80 percent, 85, whatever it may be. The 85 percent, that 80 percent that we're aspiring to, are they informed enough that it's good for society? You know, very clearly our founding fathers did not believe that everyone, especially people who do not have any real skin in the game or, or a claim, a stake, should have a say at the polls. Our country has changed a lot over the to- over the years. And, uh, you know, now we have more direct elections in many of the cases. And I, I worry a lot about the point you just made, which is that simply because, uh, you know, an election outcome uh, may have you know been declared, it is what it, it doesn't necessarily mean that everyone in that state uh, would have w- wants that outcome. But, mm-hmm. you know, it goes back to Jefferson. The government you elect is the government you deserve. The problem, though, is like you pointed out. There are so many people who believe we're not electing these, this government anymore. It's in, it's it's dangerous, it's scary. Right. I'm I'm definitely in agreement with everything you just said. But to take it one step further, you know, the results that we were given after the November third, twenty twenty election, just talking about the presidential race for the time being, we had Joe Biden around eighty one million votes. We have Donald Trump seventy four, seventy five million votes. And we're told that Joe Biden has won the national popular vote. There are all these Democrats. They came out to vote against Donald Trump, even though he rose 12 million. But we're still we're. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. everybody hated him in the four years he was president, but he still went up by 20 percent. Yeah, I haven't been able to figure out how that works, but we still are left with this idea or at least the narrative idea from the mainstream media that. There is still this Democrat majority and the election, the, the election outcome, these vote totals we've been given are the proof that despite whatever MAGA movement there might be, whatever support Donald Trump might have, there are still no matter what more people that will come out and vote for Joe Biden. And so we exist in this country believing that there is this Democrat majority based on this election outcome. And how however much that election outcome reflects the polling that was done before it, people are more or less likely to agree that that outcome represents what they perceive to be the will of the people. And so I'm suggesting that maybe we have problems on both sides of that that are kind of self-reinforcing. And so how does a pollster like you duck outside of that circle and try to present a more accurate picture of what the American public really believes? You know, there's there's a few things to that. And I get that I get at least some variants of this question a lot because people are like, you know, how do you factor in for things that really I mean, it's not an accurate vote, you know, so how do you factor in for that? And the truth is, uh, you know, to that extent, you really can't. I do know mm-hmm. some people who uh, probably weight things one, you know, further for some variables than than really is uh, defendable in an attempt to uh, carve out an exception for some of these anomalies, <laughs> you know. But I yeah, do yeah, that. that's exactly I what I'm getting do. at. Yeah. 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 And uh, I I don't do that. I simply just try to do the best job that I can do. If they do that, then unfortunately, it's going to hurt me. It's going to hurt my outcome. But I all I I focus more really on whether or not I'm reaching not only enough people anymore, because in, in, in polling, you know, it's typically true that bigger is better. So sample size matters. But 
you can get it's even more the you know the picture of the field i would say is even more cloudy than it used to be where that's not necessarily true by itself you have to make sure that you have enough for each group and be to be represented correctly uh, in the poll. And, you know, sometimes getting bigger numbers doesn't do that. You may think you have, for instance, you may have thinking you spoke with, uh, you know, two or with enough Republicans, but really, where did you speak to those Republicans? Mm-hmm. Are they too heavily metro? Uh, maybe that's why, for instance, you have MSNBC polling that said Donald Trump would lose 20% of the Republican vote. That's crazy. That was never going <laughs> to happen. Um, you know, but if you're only calling Bill Crystal in a DC metro suburb or another metro suburb around the country, then you may think that's the case. You may think that's true. So I try to focus more on whether or not I'm missing certain groups and I'm not representing them good enough than I can, uh, you know, focus on what maybe people are doing behind the scenes that Mm -hmm. can skew the true vote. Um, Because in the end, I'm not sure there is a way to factor for that. You know, another pollster friend of mine told me, I have Trump up by one in Pennsylvania, but I'm going to I'm basically going to wait a little heavier for Democrats because they have stealing down to a science in Philadelphia. And I think that <laughs> I think that's good for three points. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Wow. And, and his final was Biden plus two in the state of Pennsylvania, not because the poll said that, but because he did that. And he was he was worried uh, that, you know, he would get the wrong result. That's it's, like the that's like the betters giving a field goal advantage to the home team. That's right. I try to tell people all the time, you know, Democrats without a doubt have what we call a media handicap. And sometimes that's hard to measure. So think of it if you're a pool player. I don't know how many people are out there, but I used to be and I used to love nine ball. Think of it as if you're a pool player, you know what I'm talking about. Democrats and Republicans are playing a game of nine ball. But in this game, Democrats are spotted the six. So if Republicans, uh, you know, miss one shot. Uh, then they're in deep trouble. That's the way it goes. It's just, a, you know, it's unfair, but it's a, it's the reality. It's the world we live in. So when you are, I don't know if this is the right word, but uh, targeting the sorts of people you want to be polling, are you factoring in, I know you account for race and whatnot. You're also accounting for um, financial class, let's say. Are there other variables that you include in, in that calculation of whether or not you believe you're getting an accurate picture, a balanced yeah. picture of the populace? Yeah, there, there, there are. And even now we're down to, you know, look, because we can go back to hindsight is always 2020. So you can go back and you can say, well, what if we did this? It might have been a little bit better. You know, we overestimated Joe Biden in Minnesota a little bit. We still got the, the, the result basically correct, but we overestimated him by two points. Had we looked at not only gender, but also gender and region for us area and region have been very big. So we see a lot of other pollsters arguing over whether or not they should wait for party ID, whether they should wait for education. If they did, would they have gotten a better result? And the fact of the matter is, Chris, for us, we don't wait for party. Uh, We don't like it. Uh, Mm -hmm. The electorate speaks to you. They'll tell you what they're going to be. If you figure out the rest of the sauce ingredients, basically, then typically the the other stuff will work itself out. For instance, in Virginia in 2021, if we would have waited for party, we would have waited it more democratic. And the fact of the matter is, how do you know if you're waiting for party? How do you know what to wait for? Every election is going to be different. The electorate looks a little bit different. You can't look back at the prior election and say, I'm going to wait to this demographic that showed up for any of these waiting variables. Because if you do, 
you're you're basically trying to mimic an electorate that is almost assuredly going to be different than the one that was uh, in the previous election. So you really have to make sure there's a few a few basic demographics that we look at and we make sure they're represented. And when we do, um, you know, they're likely voter model that that's different. You know, th- that comes into play as well. But as far as just a regular registered voter poll, you know, people change their registra- uh, registration registration. Yeah less frequent than they decide I'm a Republican today or I'm a Democrat today. Static registration is static where self-identification is more fluid. And when the exit pollster is asking people and they're coming out, they're not checking their registration. They're asking them and the person is telling the exit pollster what they are. If you just look at the voter file and try to figure it out, um, unfortunately, you're going to be imposing certain weights on on people that's um, you know, could mess up your results. And in the end, they did that in 2016. They didn't believe these people in Ohio, for instance, when they were telling them, I voted for Obama twice. I considered myself, a, uh, you know, an Ohio Southeastern Democrat, but now I'm Republican and I'm going to vote for Trump. They screened a lot of these people out because they just simply didn't believe them or they either screened them out or they weighted them down because they didn't believe them. They thought, well, Ohio was D plus three in 2016. It's not going to be R plus whatever. And it was uh, because they weren't listening. They were imposing their will on the electorate instead of just, you know, sometimes as a pollster, you have to shut up and listen. Yeah. And it that reminds me of what you said at the beginning. You know, some of this is the science. The data science is just the hard numbers. But the other half being the art And if there are people who rather than, you know, focus on how am I going to produce the most accurate picture of the American public, if they're focused on what they believe about the electorate, for instance, or what they believe the electorate is going to look like, it's easy to skew that way. And, you know, we've I, I think that the data, the registration data, articles I've read at least indicate that people are shifting away from the Democrat Party, whether they're becoming independent or Republican. There are fewer Democrats. A lot of people, you know, I imagine most of the polling firms are having people self-identify according to party. Is that correct? That is correct. And we, we, we actually like like to do it both ways when we can, because we know from the voter file when we're when we're pulling voter file records as randomly to to reach people. We know what their registration is. So a lot of times we'll we'll tag that on the data set that we're using to poll and we'll pass that as a separate variable onto results and we'll be able to compare that later. And mm-hmm. everywhere at this point, everywhere, uh, Democrats are considerably overrepresented or registered Democrats are considerably overrepresented. And the fact is that a lot of them are saying they're independent. And a Mm -hmm. lot of independents are saying they're Republican. So when you see movement like that, it tells you the electorate is leaning one way over the other. There's no doubt. And yet some pollsters will probably wait back to what they believe are the percentages of registered voters. And in doing that, they will end up overrepresenting Democrats in this current environment. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yes. And, you know, Speaking of the environment being this way and people moving away from the Democrat Party, you can imagine that whoever is left still self-identifying as Democrat represents a more extreme version of the Democrat voter than the Democrat voter in November of 2020. You know, the people still 
representing themselves that way are people who have kind of gone down the road with this Democrat movement as it exists right now. And they are making themselves actually more extreme. So if you are waiting by party based on what you think the electorate looks like on those registration statistics, you might be incorporating two problems in there, it seems to me. One is the overrepresentation of Democrats, and then the other being that the Democrats you're overrepresenting are particularly extreme in their positions. Yeah, that, that those are both great observations, and they made me think of specific states in in mind where polling really, you know, has has blown it uh, because of that, you know, that that uh, or desire to wait by registration statistics. Um, North Carolina is one. Florida is another. For years, Florida polling had still been D plus whatever it had been. And the fact of the matter is, uh, it was only about a year ago, or or the year of Donald, the end of Donald Trump's tenure, when Republicans finally took a registration advantage on paper in Florida. Mm-hmm. It was the first time ever since they started tracking party affiliation, uh, voter voter, you know, records by party affiliation. That was in 1972. But the fact is. In uh, the 2010 elections, even in 2012, and definitely in 14, 16, 18, and 20, uh, these were all R plus state plus electorates, and mm-hmm. you would never have known that if you continued to do what most pollsters like Maris. That's why you. That's how you get a Biden plus eight out of nowhere um, after you had a uh, a Trump by four. Mm-hmm. I mean, within the span of a few weeks to change that, you know, that result that much is not reality. That's them. Those are artifacts of the polls themselves that the pollster is creating, and they're causing huge error misses in in uh, North Carolina again. This year, uh, or really throughout the Trump administration, but this year we, we we really saw a big significant shift. People had been registered as Democrats for a very long time, but on the federal level, they don't identify as Democrat. And if you ask them, if you're an exit pollster, if you're a pollster, and you ask them, what is you know generally speaking, do you consider yourself a Republican, a Democrat, and an Independent, or something else? Which is how we ask the question because there are mm-hmm. third-party voters in this country, which a lot of pollsters pollsters leave out. Um, you know, the fact is that the real electorate, the true electorate, has been considerably more Republican in North Carolina. Carolina and in Florida than the pollsters have uh, have have de- or at least their polling demonstrates what they're weighting them and modeling to be. And in the Rust Belt, I mean, that's a whole new set of problems. I mean, we, we could argue the same for Ohio and Pennsylvania also had dramatic shifts, especially Pennsylvania. Um, but the bottom line is uh, there there's a lot more. There are layers and layers of problems. Uh, and I would say that that which is the second part of your question, what what we're seeing with Democrats, there really are two different Democrats remaining. One is um, the extremely left wing uh, AOC kind of mm-hmm. Democrat. And yeah. then under the Trump administration, there was this like massive social desirability bias campaign. And for people who don't know what that means, it's That's like a great way to describe it, by the way. Yeah, go ahead. It, it was, yeah, on a level that I don't think we've ever seen before. David Brock and other Democratic strategists put this together over the entire Trump presidency. That's why we heard Biden using terms like decent, decency. You, now, don't we want to return to decency? Aren't yeah. you a decent person? They're, they're basically shaming you into voting for them because if you don't agree with their policies, you must surely agree that only decent people uh, vote against Donald Trump, vote against Republicans. They're not decent anymore. Uh, yeah. and, and people fell for this in huge numbers. 
in huge numbers. And it, it got to the point really where it wasn't just the media. You turn on a Netflix comedy special and somebody's doing it in their routine. I mean, this was intentional and it was definitely targeting specifically suburban women without a doubt. Yeah, that's that's it. I I think that that is dead on. And I've been talking about that consistently on my show. I think that this is largely a shame campaign. I mean, they've been running this for years. They make it absolutely toxic in every possible way to support Donald Trump, to support Republicans. Republicans are just automatically racist and sexist and homophobic and transphobic, and they have no education. They don't like education. It is absolutely nuts the way that they have shifted the public perception about what it means to vote for anyone but Democrats. And I think that that's a really interesting factor to take into and to be conscious of when you're polling because people have a hard time admitting that they hold certain positions. And I don't know how much time you've spent uh, polling questions like, do you believe cheating affected the outcome of the 2020 election, for instance? But that I imagine is the kind of question that a person who gets a phone call from a pollster might be hesitant to answer honestly because they know that they can be punished for the wrong answer. Yeah, that that's great. That's a great question. And we have spent a lot of time on it. Uh, also, by the way, um, a, lo- a lot of controversial stuff, things surrounding the vaccines, the transgender yes. yeah. issues, transgender competence. We were the only ones to pull uh, severe adverse effects. And I'm proud of that work because obviously the more and more we see, the more and more it's very clear we were right. We found a relationship, a clear one with age and adverse effects. Um, the younger you were, which means, of course, the less likely you were to be very sick from COVID. But it was the younger you were, the more likely you were to report a severe adverse effect. Um, so that that was something that nobody wanted to discuss at the time. We had a hard time prying the truth out of c- certain people. But question like cheating about you know election fraud, uh, that's another one. And we have had a way that we've um, used to deal with this to kind of identify not only that, but whether there were shy Trump voters, for lack of a better term, right? And we have a way that gauges social desirability bias in general, and we've been doing it. We probably have more data than anybody else that I know who's tried to weigh into this. We did it by Battleground State leading into 2020. We published those results along with the public polling project, and now when we turn that public polling project into a national uh, project – you know, where we track that you know, monthly, your usual approval ratings, right track, wrong track. We do this um, on a month. Uh, well, we try. I mean, it's publicly funded, so we do our best. But um, we also incorporated those what we call social desirability bias indicators that we use for the states. We incorporate that into the national polling. And it asks simply, Chris, simple questions. How comfortable are you uh, telling the truth uh, about your political beliefs? With each of the following people, such as how you intend to vote, and we'll ask different, your family, your friends, your coworkers, strangers, and pollsters, and neighbors, by the way. Neighbors are another one. Um, so we're looking for these red flags with people who routinely, demographics who routinely uh, throw these signals, which tells us this is a person who does have an opinion, but they're afraid to tell us that. So they're telling us 
I'm not very comfortable or I'm very uncomfortable being truthful about my political beliefs with these different groups of people. And then you'll look throughout the rest of their interview, for instance, and maybe you ask them about transgender bathrooms and they chose, I'm unsure, I'm undecided, right? That's not really true. They're not undecided. They are just afraid to tell you honestly that they do not believe we should have gender neutral bathrooms or they don't believe that men who are biological men who identify as female should be able to compete against Riley Reed, you know, and take her swim, uh, you know, trophy away from her or or take that scholarship away from some high school student who's competing against a ge- genetic male. Yeah. You know, so there are a lot of these questions and I'm telling you it happened in 2020. That's why we knew Trump's vote was underrepresented in, in those polls, even the ones we did. In many states, we knew they would be underrepresented because there were tons of people who were saying they were unsure, they were undecided, they profiled as a Trump voter, and they were just afraid to tell you. And they were honest. Like, look, I'm very uncomfortable talking with my coworkers about my political beliefs. So I'm uncomfortable talking about it with pollsters because we flatly do at the end of it ask them, what about pollsters? How comfortable are you with this interview right now? And the the results um, the results of this um, have been remarkably consistent. Wondering whether or not it would get better after Trump, it didn't. It did not get better in many areas. It's actually getting worse, Chris. Yeah. And yeah, which so much for the decency argument, right? Uh, right. That, yeah, that, I was told the adults would be back in the room, but apparently not yet. That's right. People are more terrified than ever, uh, to be honest about their views, and that's that's happening simultaneously as people are telling us that they have enormous voter remorse. So it it's just a, it's not these problems aren't showing any signs of easing up and pulse. It's like so I'm trying to explain the current environment that pollsters were all trying to operate in. Those are some of the methodological issues we have, but we also have ethical issues. And that is how could you tell we were getting into waiting a little bit? How could you try to forecast an electorate when you don't understand so many of them? You may even despise them if we're, right. if, if we're being real, right? You think the pollster for the New York Times cares about the people of Western Pennsylvania? He does not. All right. So when he finds that Green County may somehow uh, have voted for Donald Trump by a two to one margin in 2016. Yet this year, according to his polling, it's going to go for Biden by 20 points. You know, if you don't know people, if you don't, if you're really not not in touch with the American voter and you're not in touch with these different areas that maybe you don't identify or agree with, then you're going to miss something like that. That should have been a giant red flag to them, but it wasn't. They really believed. well, of course, of course, the people of Green County came around and now yeah. they 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 they're, they're, they agree with us now. They see the light yep. now. Yep. That's they've all ridiculous. realized how bad Donald Trump is. Now they realize it. Right. Yes. And of exactly. course, being being from the party that respects the science, you can't really question the Nate Silver poll. You know, he right. he's doing the same level of, let's say, art. Right. But he just won't admit it. And it's really impressive to me that you guys are making that effort to take the social desirability uh, aspects into account because that seems so important to me. You know, on a, you know, on a layman's level, 
trying to interpret what polls mean and the differences in the ways that questions are asked and what the voter might be thinking when answering these questions. You know, from a layman's perspective, it's like, am I somehow abusing the science portion of this? But then you look at a Nate Silver poll and the science portion has already been abused for you. That's you know, right. it's it's great to hear that you guys are asking kind of these indirect questions that when you put them in context, you're able to get at these underlying truths that in some ways can't and won't be spoken. Yeah, and I will tell you this point blank. Nate Silver is the most destructive force in this industry right now. His uh, And by the way, all of his little abuses uh, you know, are covered up because his magic sauce, nobody's allowed to look at it. Must be yeah. so smart. He must be so smart that he's not publishing those uh, methodologies on how he does these things and grades pollsters and waits for them. He takes out their house bias for them oh thank you nate you know i mean this, yeah. he's adjusting the polling result to an, a more favorable outcome to himself and his model he's a glorified poll reader and he does the most to damage trust in this industry than anybody else because look if someone has to have some kind of ulterior motive for having nate silver around for as long as he has he is not accurate at all he never has been really with the exception of the 2008 election which my 10 year old son could have called better anyway so <laughs> everybody knew barack obama was going to crush john mccain yeah. didn't need some fake guru to tell us right and uh you know the bottom line is he's not transparent at all and yet he'll still put that a plus next to the washington post poll regardless of the fact that their last published poll in the state of wisconsin was biden by 17 points that was a you know yeah, I mean, I really think if you lose $6 million of revenue each year, Chris, somebody wants to keep you around. They're keeping <laughs> you around. They're keeping you invested and, and, and funded for a reason. No one else on planet Earth in the market economy is allowed to run, bleed millions of dollars like his outlet does every single year and still exist. Unless, of course, somebody wants you around. You're serving a purpose. So people should keep that in mind. Uh, when they look at, you know, who, the, the the fake polling guru with a really good dev development team for his website. That's about right. it. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. I mean, you look at 538 now and, you know, they do their breakdowns like Republicans could win this many seats, but Democrats could keep this many. And the the highest point in his range for Republicans is less than most people think Republicans have just locked up. And he is shifting the public perspective on how this midterm is going to turn out. And I'm not saying you have to walk down this road with me. But one thing that I brought up on the podcast many times is that if you are committed to a system of stealing elections through various forms of election fraud and administration and manipulation, then the way that you present that to the public is by convincing them that the result you will eventually give them was That's already right. possible. And Nate Silver seems dedicated to shifting the public perception in order to allow those scenarios. 
That yeah, I really do think that uh, that is his purpose. It, you can't be wrong, folks, one way every time and be legitimate. If you go back yeah. and look at the public polling project we did in the battleground states, I just said we overestimated Biden in Minnesota. Well, we may have overestimated Trump in Arizona a little bit, for instance. Like the errors go both ways when you're doing sound statistics um, in this field. If you're not. And you're getting error rates in one direction every time. It's a major red flag that there's either something wrong with you or there's something wrong with your methodology. Something is wrong. You are favoring one side over the other. You will notice what Nate Silver every single year. He's not the only one, by the way. Larry Sabato at the Center for Politics in University of Virginia. This is why I started to become public. Uh, you know, years ago, I remember when I was young and getting started, the Sabato has been around for a long time with his crystal ball. We used to, for fun, put together models to see if we could outperform the so-called experts. And it dawned on me, Chris, every single time he was wrong in one direction. Wow. Why would he wait so long to change a rating for a Republican when it was moving in a Republican's favor, when it was so obvious, yet a single published poll showing a Democrat up could be an outlier? It will justify a race rating for them, you know, a change in a race rating. Yeah, that isn't modeling. That's poll reading. And it's a biased form of it at that. And I'll tell you, uh, you know, the bottom line is that's why we jumped into this. Uh, and we decide because you take your lumps when you come in, not only swinging, but you come in have well swinging heavily criticizing these guys yep. who have supposedly been at this forever. And you're just, you know, for lack of a better word, you're calling them frauds as well. Their Good. job is to plant something in the mind of the electorate. So when it happens, um, nobody's surprised. And by the way, people can go and look. Nate Silver, the day before the election in 2020, said himself. The only way that Donald Trump can win is if he steals the election. Wow. So look at his Twitter feed. Wow. Find it right there. The guy is a total fraud. So you mentioned the error rates always going in one direction. You know, right. we always read on the bottom of a poll. They have a margin of error. And let, I mean, this is just a thought I'm having now. Does does do Nate Silver's results always seem to fall within that margin of error, but the but always in one direction? Is he using that margin of error uh, as cover for his top line? Yeah, well, he what he's doing is using the other side of the probability uh, to try to cover for really it's it's a hedge. He's hedging his bets. So mm. I wasn't really wrong because I said I said that it could be a uh, you know seventy percent chance that. It would fall within a three and a half point range for so and so. And I did say there was a 30 percent chance that they could outperform that, you know, so I wasn't right. really wrong. It just so happened it was the 37, 30 percent uh, chance. You know, we did this breakdown on his record showing uh, before when we were, I used to run uh, the PPD election projection model. I authored that model and we ran an analysis of his record to show people that really he's just poll reading. This is not if all of the major misses that he had correlated with the major polling misses. There were no other variables in his model. There's nothing else in there to explain it. Other statisticians have destroyed his work as well. I mean, he rely, he lives and breathes based on a media myth 
created around him. And, you know, and that myth has been perpetuated by everyone, including Fox News. You know, it's simply not true. The truth is that if I open my office door right now and let Nate Silver go behind my desk and take the reins to see if he could do a better job than me, he wouldn't know the first place to start. He has no clue how to poll. He knows how to fudge statistics. That's it. So, you know, he always... I don't think that I ever saw someone focus so much on the probabilities, the percentage of an outcome uh, hitting or not before Nate Silver. I mean, I used to spend a decent amount of time. I think I used to listen to the 538 podcast and I don't know, 2015 or 2016, maybe even as far as 2017. And they would always talk about the model, the model, the model, you know, and they would have these probabilities. It's 95% Clinton was going to win. I think you might've still been at the New York times at that point and was the one responsible for that. But you can correct me if I'm wrong about that. When did we shift to this probability model rather than just giving the people the polling numbers? You know, and that's funny you say that because, uh, you know, when he first came out, even people like Larry Sabato, who had been modeling long before him, had, um, you know, you know, in essence, had to deal with him in this changing, uh, you know, uh, in this changing space where now he's giving this very convoluted uh, likelihood of outcomes, uh, you know, uh, presentation to consumers who are going to his site. Larry Sabato himself was said that this is pseudoscience. This is not yeah. real. This is not how elections are forecasted. There's a lot more that goes into it. It looks simply like, you know, poll. He's putting he's running polls through machine learning models to see how how often um, there have been major variances. But the truth is a poll is giving you a likelihood of outcome. That's why it's 95 percent confidence interval, 95 percent confidence uh, that this poll is going to end up in this range, plus or minus whatever percent. So, I, I mean, in in fact, he's really offering people a product that is already in existence and has been forever. The question is whether or not the data that you're inputting into his so-called model is good. And if it's not, then the model is not going to be good. And that's the problem. The problem is that he's a glorified poll reader, he and others, and the, the the major variable that they're using in these models is polling, and polling is struggling to be predictive. So, you know, you're just, you're, you know, you can't bake a cake with, good, with bad ingredients and expect right. it to taste good, right? Yeah, this is a little bit outside of your area of expertise, but something you just said made me think of it. I've been commenting recently and thinking about this for the last few years, You know, another way that this public perception has been skewed in terms of our elections recently is that when we are getting election night reports, what we used to have was the percentage of precincts reporting. And now we get a percentage of votes outstanding, which would say that I guess they know the number of total votes and now they're just counting them as they come in. Part of that is a result of them centralizing into these counting centers. But it is a much easier way to skew public perception about the potential outcomes of these elections as they delay them for days and weeks waiting to get the outcome that they desire. And I know that like this is a little bit outside of the polling thing, but I trust you as a political analyst to have thoughts about this. And so just asking out of interest. 
Yeah, I'm, no, this is definitely still my wheelhouse, and I, I okay, get good. these questions a lot. People, you know, what happened to 87% reporting out of, you know, 120 out of 124 precincts fully right. reported? What happened to that? And a couple of things. One you just mentioned, which is huge, the centralization of vote counting centers um, not only is a nightmare, it's less transparent, and uh, it's not good for our our. our our system of government. People are supposed to be able to transparent, uh, to have transparency and feel good that their elections are being counted accurately, fairly. And, and by the way, without incompetence, you know, so, yeah. you know, we, we have to stop pretending as if, uh, all of these vote counting centers are run by a bunch of geniuses. They're not. All right. They may, they feel better about themselves. They get to go to their little conferences for vote counters and they get to, you know, in, basically over exaggerate how important their lives are to give uh, meaning to them, which is a shame because that should not come at the their feeling should not come at the expense yeah. of our stability and our regime credibility, which every government. I don't care if you're in the United States of America or the People's Republic of North Korea, you absolutely have to believe in regime credibility for the government to survive. Yep. So you have the vote counting center problem, but you also have this advent of universal mail-in voting, unsolicited ballots that are being set out. Used to be that we had every vote accounted for, basically, and we knew what precincts had what votes. Now, I'm not saying we still shouldn't know. We should. It's just that they made the system so chaotic. It's not... Um, I would say it's no longer reasonable to expect ele uh, election officials and, and administrative state to give you an accurate portrayal everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and that's true. That's tragic, Chris. It's tragic. It is tragic. Yes, it is. People don't want this. Nobody yeah. wants it. Not I mean, Democrats. the idea that they can just give us a number of how many votes are still outstanding and then we are just left as if like – the clock is ticking down at the end of the championship game. And you're just hoping like that enough of those votes are on your side that they can make up the difference. I mean, this is a complete and total manipulation. It seems to me. Yeah. And, uh, and when, again, this is another conversation that we're not really having, which is sad because people should know what to expect. Right. So in Arizona, I have, I'm basically alone explaining to people that since 2020, it really, since they changed election laws and rules uh, unilaterally without the power to do so, they have created this different group, these different groups who exhibit different behavior and vote method. So definitely certain groups that are more Trumpy, for lack of a better word, they don't like mail-in voting, even though Florida, Arizona, right. for many years, they used mail-in voting and Republicans actually dominated absentee ballot voting in many of these states. They've created these because of it. it's not the politicians doing it. It's their incompetence that has created this uh, this skepticism or outright. Uh, they don't outright. They don't trust them. They don't mm -hmm. trust the mailman with their ballot. They don't trust whoever the mailman hands the ballot to. So yeah. these more Trumpy voters now are if they vote by mail, it's because they're dropping off hand delivering their ballot, their mailed ballot to the official on election day. Or they're going to vote on election day, which is why I was so confident calling the race for Carrie Lake when everyone thought she was going to lose because of yep. the early vote. Yes, Karen Taylor Robson won the early vote by a bigger margin than we anticipated, but still we knew there were plenty of votes left from election day. But that's not even it. It's the people who 
delivered their ballot. We've seen it now in Ohio. We saw it in Pennsylvania between in the Republican primary between Mehmet Oz and Dave McCormick um, and on and on and on. We have almost 30 states of data now that that show this behavior. And I think it's important to let people know, because if people did get something horrible in mind, you know, like, for instance, to rob the leading or the front runner for the Republican nomination for governor in Arizona, mm-hmm. it, they'd be able to get away with it because yeah. people. People aren't knowledgeable enough to know, oh, wait, Carrie Lake's voters haven't been counted yet. You know, so we were going into November. We're going to have to have this discussion. So Democrats don't think they're wildly ahead and Republicans don't think they're going to lose every single race because (laughs) it's going to look like that when the votes are counted on Election Day. Yeah, they are going to make a huge effort to manipulate public perception in all sorts of ways. Um, Yes. Back to the polling a little bit. What is the uh, what is the manipulation factor involved? Not in obviously in your work because you're transparent about what you do, but in some of these polls that you know people don't find trustworthy any longer. The Washington Post poll you mentioned earlier. What is the role of the undecided number in being able to shift that perception? You know, that's funny because if you're a pollster and you're trying to give the impression that a race really isn't uh, somebody couldn't come from behind, let's say you may you may tighten the likely voter model, which will shrink the number of undecideds. Mm -hmm. Right. Because the people who fall into very even very tight, likely voter screens are typically not that undecided. Right. It's when you have a higher turnout election compared to prior, which I believe this midterm election will be higher turnout than normal. Uh, When you have that, you're going to have these people who aren't high interest voters in those in those polls and they're going to drive the undecideds. Right. Um, I was trying to for I'm not a big fan of polling for media, but we will if we think the partner is trustworthy enough. And for CD media, for instance, we polled um, the Senate race in Arizona and we polled the governor's race in Arizona. Both races looked really close. We had the Republican one point ahead in Arizona gubernatorial election, but um, the leading and now he's the nominee, Blake Masters, down slightly to the incumbent Democrat. But what we tried to make a point, what we tried to make a point of pointing out was look at who is undecided. Right. So this is what, what we were trying to say is that don't you know, don't take this the wrong way. Right. And that in a midterm elections, presidential approval rating, for instance, has an enormous impact on how uh, many people vote. And it's very predictive. And mm-hmm. if you look at just the Senate race, for instance, 70 percent of people who are undecided in the Senate race disapproved of the job Joe Biden was doing. The likelihood of those people voting in mass for the incumbent Democrat when they disapprove so much, so badly of their party's president, the likelihood of them voting for that Democrat is very, very low. So the point we were trying to make is it looks like Blake Masters is down by a few points. But when you allocate those undecideds, they're going to decide. And when they do, it's not going to be good for Mark Kelly. That was the point we were trying to make. Looks like Kerry Lake only has a tiny little lead, but 58 percent of them disapprove of the job Joe Biden's doing. She's going to get the lion's share of those undecideds when they do decide. So I think a lot of pollsters out there aren't going into that de- that kind of detail, Chris. And they put out this number, you know, uh, Biden 45, Trump 43 uh, with 8 percent undecided. Biden has a lead in Florida. You know, I mean, this are you yeah. crazy? <laughs> Whoever's <laughs> and they'll do that. Or they'll do what I said before, which is really t- 
tighten that screen to show that there aren't enough undecideds to change the outcome of mm. the election, which is patently false because they've been modeling turnout with polling wrong for years now. And they either think to more more people are going to show up than than are going to, which they did in 2014 or in 2016. Um, that same thing happened. They only thought about 120 million people would come out. About 140 million almost came out in 2016. I believe it was 137 around that ballpark. And then this time around, there the polls were modeling in 2020 a turnout of 165 to 80 million people. That has never happened. And and, yeah. and our population simply doesn't. That's not. Uh, it, it's not sustainable. It's not a sustainable right. projection. But they did because they wanted you to believe that about a quarter of the vote was going to be a first-time voter. That's nuts. Yeah. Nuts. That's mind blowing. Yep. Is there any sense that um, any of these companies are basically reverse engineering, starting with the results they want and then figuring out how to achieve those results? Yeah, I actually, I actually do think that a lot of them. I've publicly stated before that I think right. Quinnipiac does that. Quinnipiac mm. University. Um, I think they did that in their polling in Ohio. I think a lot of the New York Times polling uh, just for that was horrible. I think they just were modeling to get the outcome they wanted, so that you know there wasn't anything wrong with how they collected the data. They were just modeling it incorrectly to get the result that they wanted. There is, however, there are things to be said about how people are collecting data, and that is, I say this all the time, but it's there's really no other way to explain it, that different groups of people respond to different modes of collection at different rates. Mm -hmm. So. You have a bunch of liberals in metro and urban America who have no problem picking up their cell phone and talking to you, and they will talk to you for 20, 30 minutes. They'll fill your head with every thought they have about how much they hate Donald Trump, right? <laughs> the steel worker in western Pennsylvania is not going to talk to you like that. They're right. not. So you have to reach them in a different way when you have to you have to go them and, you know, appeal to their civic duty. We appeal to civic duty. We do. Yeah, like, good. Listen, I know you're busy. I understand you're busy, but we, you know, your participation is voluntary, but it is vital in this industry. It's vital to our government, you know, that you answer this. Just take a few moments because your 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 opinion is that important to us. It may take that steel worker in Pennsylvania two days to complete his interview. He's just too damn busy. So you give him a way to save, continue, and he'll come back in 16 hours, 12 hours, and he'll wrap it up, or he or she will wrap it up. And by the way, that's why I mentioned the Green County debacle with the New York yeah. Times. If you're only going to call cell phones in western Pennsylvania, you're going to miss that steel worker, but you will reach the librarian in Green County and the one person who's going to vote for Joe Biden. Right. You know, so right. I mean that it, we have we behave differently. That we're we're all very different, liberals and conservatives alike to begin with. And we have to realize that, you know, um the the way we design the poll, look at the not for not to blow somebody up here, but Emerson College, hello, Robson plus one just last Tuesday. Yeah. Karen Taylor's gonna I mean Karen Taylor's gonna lose pretty comfortably. They had her up by one point. They were a complete outlier. That is because they only call people on their landlines using IVR. IVR is interactive voice response. It's illegal to call the cell phone using IVR. So they had no choice but to call um, landlines using that technology. And they reached a bunch of people who are like 70 and 75 plus. 
And that's it. And that's why Robson was doing well with that group. That's why they thought she was going to win this thing. Uh, we do not. We use mixed modes to try to make sure it could change depending on where we're polling, how much of this was collected through peer-to-peer uh, text messaging, how much was it collected using an online panel, how many people did we literally target by their traffic source online. Um, we, it changes. It differs. As the data comes in, we'll look and we'll see, all right, we're doing really well with Hispanics, but we're really low with Hispanic men. This is too, you know, it's filtered to uh, tilting to female. It may look good overall. You know, the gender split overall may look good, but if you really got it, that's why we call the show Inside the Numbers. You really yeah. have to dig inside the numbers to see whether or not, okay, am I missing something here? And, uh, you know, there are little red flags to tell you when you are which we go over all the time with the audience, but uh, other pollsters are not doing this, Chris. They're not. All right. Let me ask you one more and I'll get you out of here. We're going to be seeing all sorts of polls leading up to these midterms. How do we tell which ones are reliable at all? Are there benchmarks that we can look for when determining whether or not a polling firm or a particular poll is giving us a legitimate picture of what the voting public looks like? Yeah, I mean, I tell people at this point that not every, you know, polls are not equal. They are not created equal. We have too many polls right now and not enough pollsters. And you have to really do as a consumer, you got to do your research to see who has done a good job and who hasn't in the past. And it's really, um, it's sad that it's that complicated. But, you know, the the aforementioned fake guru we were talking about is not the authority on this topic. He skews those grades so you would never know the Monmouth poll is going to miss their own state by 11 points, right? <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. unbelievable, right? And total embarrassment the next day. He's got a pen and op-ed contemplating retiring because he missed his own state so badly. So you really, as the consumer, uh, sadly, you really have to do this on your own. And, um, you know, again, there, don't look at it. Are there oh, green ahead. flag? Are there green flags or red flags? Are there little things that will just pop out to you and you'll say, oh, this is a problem or, oh, they've got it right. Yeah. Yeah. There, there can be, you know, once we get past Labor Day, especially if it's a registered voter poll or an adult poll and it's about, you know, it's the, the, the content of the poll is an election, throw it out. It's useless. The job of a pollster is they're what, what they're doing is passing the buck. They're, they're kicking the can. They don't want to, they don't want to go out on a limb and try to tell you who is going to come out to vote. NBC does this all the time now. So does the Washington Post. It was just a poll out before uh, from a now another, yet another firm I've never heard of, uh, which was a Democratic polling firm. That was uh, the electorate in the midterm they have is D plus one. It's a registered voter poll. Uh, th that's nuts. The electorate in November will be R plus two, four, something along that lines. And anyone who's not trying to predict it with a likely voter model isn't doing their job. They're, right. they're, they're really trying to have a plausible deniability if they're wrong. They want to be able to say, well, you know, that was if it was an R plus one electorate or a D plus one electorate. They're they're not putting themselves out there and doing the job that a, it's like half of a pollster's job is to figure out how different groups are going to vote. The other half is figuring out who's going to vote and that you can't shirk. And they're doing that like crazy these days. So I'm not saying registered voter polls aren't good. I'm just saying, especially when you get this close to an election, it is the job of the pollster to move to a likely voter model. 
Yeah, we've really um, kind of skewed the meanings on the science part and the art part. You know, right. once once we're told that something is based on data, we are now to the point where we just assume, oh, that means it's true. We have the data. But that data always does include these personal factors or, you know, motivational factors that are going to change what that data looks like when you put it out. If it's too educated, that's another huge flag. Uh, you know, national poll having something anywhere over 15, 16 percent postgrad is nuts. I've seen some people with 23 percent, you know, is wow. going to be postgraduate. That's wow. crazy. crazy. Um, yeah, totally nuts. Uh, the party split is always a, a big red flag. Uh, you know, any there is no universe. The nat, I'll tell the tell the listeners now. The National Voter File Database, as of today, August 9, twenty two. There are some states where there are no registrations, so we have to use machine learning models to infer what people are. But it's extremely accurate. The National Voter File Database right now of one hundred and eighty million, which is obviously a very liberal, uh, you know, model I'm using, is only D plus four. When you start to really, you know, grind down and start to uh, model off of probability and likelihood, who has showed up before, who is more likely to show up, you get who's to around. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's very right. Who's alive? Who, who is in a change of address flag and no yeah. longer even lives in that state? We have major problems, folks. But once we get to like 145 million, 150 million, the D advantage disappears. It evaporates. D plus two is reasonable at this point. When we first started polling during the honeymoon of Joe Biden, that was the highest Democratic advantage we have found in years. That was D plus seven, about D plus 7.7. That's gone now. The last poll we did was R plus one, and that was registered voter. So uh, that that just goes to show you once we get to the likely voter screen, the national electorate will be around R plus, I'm saying low end two. Uh, you know, high end of four, maybe even five. It's gonna, it, 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 when Florida is looking like R plus eight or 10, it's wow. a big deal. It's a big deal. Wow. We're talking about a m- millions of votes. Shit. Monumental. Shit. Wow. Monumental. That's, that's, that's exactly right. All right, Rich. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I think that that was really educational for me and I hope for the audience. Um, maybe we'll, I would love to have you back before the election kind of pick your brain about some more of this as we draw closer. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to do that, especially on topics like this. I could talk forever, Chris. Methodology. (laughs) That's awesome because I will have more questions. That sounds good. All right. Thanks again. All the best. Yep. Take care. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!